0: Welcome to the Valley Point Podcast. Valley Point Church is a faith community located in Glen Mills, Pennsylvania. Our mission is pointing people to real relationships and real significance. This talk continues week two of our series, The Story. Enjoy and thanks for listening. Welcome to week number two of The Story. I'm really glad that you're here and look forward to a great time investigating God's Word. So here's what happened last week. We launched the story, and what we discovered right away, the first book of the Bible, first chapter, first verse, is we see God's creative genius on display. And he made the heavens and the earth, and he made all of the animals, and God made the cats. It's true, God made cats too, But I will say that the prized creation of God was not any of that stuff. It was humans, it was people. And when you look at Genesis chapter 1, everything started out so good, it was absolutely perfect. But then the first two humans that God created, Adam and Eve, they chose to walk away from God, they chose to rebel. They chose to sin. And everything that was so perfect was all of a sudden destroyed and ruined. And the rest of the story is about God reaching out to rescue people. We ended our time last week talking about Noah. Scripture tells us that Noah found favor in the eyes of God. He found grace in the eyes of God is what that actually means. And God rescued him... And his family from the great flood. And it was really a way for humans to start over again. But yet what we discover is that people are people. Sin is not gone. And soon the earth is just as vile and corrupt and evil as it was in pre-flood days. So God, and this is one of the things that we love about God. Out of his immense compassion, he springs into action and he begins formulating a plan to reach out and rescue what he loves the most, and that is people. Before we jump into our story, our specific story for today, I want to remind you of the three phrases that we're going to be using almost every week throughout our time here. And that is the upper story, the lower story, and then my story. The upper story is the big idea of what God is doing. It's the grand narrative of how God is reaching out to rescue people. The lower story, then, is the historical context. It's the individual stories that make up the big idea of what God is doing. It's about what is happening with people on earth and how they're feeling and what they're experiencing with their wins and their losses. And then there is... My story. And my story are the takeaways. What can we learn from the upper story and the lower story that I can use in my life to help me survive another seven days? So the upper story, the lower story, and then my story. Here's our upper story statement for today. Here's the big idea of what God is doing. And that is God will accomplish His plan in the world, but He often does it in ways we would not expect and through surprising people. And we're going to get a vivid picture of this today. And I think it's something that you'll remember for a long time. So God will accomplish his plan in the world. That is something he will do. But he often does it in ways we would not expect and through surprising people. So let's bring it down to earth now and the lower story. The book of Genesis is really an incredible book. ...because it sets the foundation for the entire Bible. And it can be a difficult book to understand... ...but I want to show you how you can really break this down into two parts. And I would encourage you to find some space in your papers there to map this out... ...because it will be very helpful to you in understanding the book of Genesis. Again, you can break it down into two different pieces. There's chapters 1 through 11... And that's really what we talked about last week, and today we'll get into chapters 10 and 11 and discuss a few things there. But that's the first part. And then the second part is the rest of the book. It's chapters 12 through 50. There's the two parts, chapters 1 through 11, that's the opening bit, and then we have the rest of the book, chapters 12 through 50. What is unique about chapters 1 through 11 is that we discover here four key events. There's creation, the fall, the flood, and then the Tower of Babel. Four key events that happen in chapters 1 through 11. And we're going to talk a little bit about the Tower of Babel today. What happens then in chapters 12 through 50 is that God changes his program a little bit in how he works in the world and how he shows his love to everyone. And that is he begins to work through people. And what we find in chapters 12 through 50 are four key people. There's four key events. God changes his program a little bit and begins to work through people. There's Abraham Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And these are gentlemen that we're going to get to know well over the next couple of weeks as we talk about their lives and how God began to work through them. So chapters 1 through 11, four key events. Chapters 12 through 50, four key people and how God changes his program in showing his love to the world. Now, you may find this interesting or not. I'm not sure, but I'm going to share it with you anyway. Chapters 1 through 11 take about 2,000 years of history. That's a pretty significant amount of time. And again, those are the four key events. Creation, the fall, the flood, and then the Tower of Babel. All of that happens in about 2,000 years. The book begins to speed up when we get to chapters 12 through the end of the book, because what we find here... Is that God works through these four individuals in about 286 years? So that's the book of Genesis. Two parts, two groupings, God working through events, and then eventually God changing his program and he begins to work through people. What's really interesting about that is God working through people means good things for all of us. It really does. And we're going to uncover a bit of that today. So what happens in Genesis 10 and 11 is that Noah's family expands. And from his three sons and their wives who all survived the great flood, they begin to have children and many descendants. And they're becoming a great big group of people. What scripture tells us, ...is that they all begin to gather in a place called Ur. What's interesting about that is God had actually asked his people to scatter and to fill the earth. And they chose not to do that in chapter 11. Instead, they all gather in one little place. How many of you like maps? Yeah, nobody likes maps anymore because we just listen to our phone, right? And the phone tells us when to turn and where to go. We really don't need maps anymore... But I want to show you a map of ancient Israel, and there's a lot of activity that happens in this particular region. There's still a lot of activity that happens here. What you'll notice is the city of Ur is located between the Tigris and the Euphrates River right over here above the Persian Gulf. This is known today as modern-day Iraq, and that's where... Noah and his sons and their wives began to gather, and that's where they had a lot of children and a lot of descendants, and they're all living in the land of Ur. But keep in mind, God did not want them to do that. He wanted them to scatter and to fill the earth, but they're all in one little place right there in Ur. Well, what we read in chapter 11 is that the people who are living there become arrogant. And they decide that they want to build a monument to themselves where everybody will remember who they are and they would be famous. And anybody who ever looked at this monument would know and remember this great group of people. And so they began to build a tower. It's the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel was an ancient construction called a ziggurat, which was a step pyramid type of construction. Often it would have some type of shrine at the top where deity could be worshipped. It may have looked something like this. We're not exactly sure, but this is an example of an ancient ziggurat. If you wanted to bedazzle your your ziggurat and and turn it into something really special, you, you might be able to do something like that. I don't know. Maybe. How many of your kids play Minecraft? All right. Here's an example of a ziggurat in Minecraft. Even in Minecraft, which is a weird game. I don't get it, and I don't understand it. But even in Minecraft, you can build a ziggurat. And again, we don't know exactly what this tower would have looked like. But according to research and historians, it probably looked something like that. So you've got Noah and his sons and their wives and they're growing and expanding as a nation and as a people group. They're all gathered in one area. They want to make a monument to make themselves famous. And God looks at all of this. He sees it as he looks into the land of Ur and God says, this is not a good thing. This is not good. My people are not doing what I asked of them. I asked them to scatter and to fill the earth and not get into one place, but that is exactly what they're doing. And so God judges the people by confusing their language. What's interesting is that scripture tells us at this time, there was only one language being spoken, which is great. It means everybody can understand everybody else. But God judges the people for refusing to obey him, and he creates languages and people groups and nations. I think this is fascinating, because if you have ever wondered, where did all the languages come from? And who thought of this stuff? Who invented that? And where did all the nations come from and the different people groups? Well, I believe, based on what we find in scripture, that this was God's design, This is what God wanted, and it all happened at the Tower of Babel in a place called Ur. And so people begin to scatter. What God does next, I think, is remarkable and very special. And that is God begins to build a nation. And this is part of our lower story. And he begins to work through some very specific people. And so if you have a Bible or a device, I want you to find Genesis chapter 12. I'm going to begin reading with verse 1. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Again, keep in mind here, we're thinking about God building a nation. This is what he's doing. So here's what we find right away. The Lord had said to Abram. Let's pause there. Because we're introduced to a new person, we have a new character, we're moving beyond Adam and Eve and Noah and all of his kids and their kids and grandkids, and now we're introduced to a gentleman by the name of Abram. Throughout my conversation this morning, you'll hear me refer to him as Abram and Abraham. It's the same person. In Genesis chapter t- chapters 12 through 16, God refers to him as Abram, which was a very good name because it means father is exalted. And certainly he was and he would be, but what we find in Genesis chapter 17 is that God actually changes his name to Abraham, which means father of a multitude, which is a promise. That is about to be delivered to Abraham. So Abram, Abraham, same person. Okay. The same is true of his wife. You'll hear me talk about Sarai and Sarah. Same person. God changed her name from Sarai to Sarah. But as we think about Abram, Abraham, Sarai, Sarah. This is the same person. So as I read through this now. I want you to look for two key words. And listen for them. All right. So the Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. What are the two keywords? All right, a little louder. What are the two key words? I, will. I will. Yes. And this is God speaking here. And he's looking at Abraham and Sarah and saying, I will. I will. I will. God says, Abraham, I will. I will give you a land, and I will give you descendants, and I will make of you a great nation. This is something that I will do in and through you. Theologically, this is known as the Abrahamic covenant. It's God's promise. It's God's contract with Abraham that I'm going to give you a land, I'm going to give you children, and I'm going to make you famous, and all the people of the world will be blessed through you. This is the beginning right here of God building a nation. But here's the thing. And I think this is what makes it very fun. And so if you've kind of tuned out a little bit, you're not interested in ancient maps and in 2,000 years of time and 286 years, and you're kind of thinking about that game at 430 today or whatever else might be happening, I want you to lean back in for a minute because I think this is an absolutely amazing part of our story for today. Again, God decides to build a nation. It's the individuals that he chooses that are quite fascinating and not exactly what you would expect when you're building a brand new nation oh let's think about this if God tapped you on the shoulder and said hey here's the deal I'm going to start a new people group and through you the world is going to be blessed and I I want you to now find somebody to do this Oh, we we might be very invigorated by that. And we would put together a business plan to build a new nation that would involve bright minds, big thinkers, people who are politically connected, the wealthy, those who have a lot going for them, people who can really strategize and engineer. These are the individuals that we would assemble to build a great nation. And that makes a lot of sense. That would probably work, but God says, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to gather what you might think. Instead, I'm going to begin to work through Abraham and Sarah, and this is quite surprising, so let me just read to you from verse 4 in chapter 12. Here's what we discover happens next. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. Now remember that. He's not a young man, okay? He's 75. And he took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran and headed for the land of Canaan. So he's on his way. He's doing what God wants him to do. Abraham, I want you to take your wife And the people that are around you and I want you to leave what you're comfortable with and go to a place that you you don't even know. It doesn't even make sense. But Abraham obeys. He's good with that. And scripture doesn't tell us Sarah's age here. But scholars tell us that she was approximately 10 years younger than Abraham. So he's 75. That means she's 65. And this is God's plan to build a nation. Through Abraham, who's 75, and Sarah, who is 65. In order to build a nation, you have to have babies. Like, are you tracking with me? Abraham is 75 years old, Sarah is 65. I don't think this is going to work. Like, this is not a great plan, and it gets better. I want to take you back to Genesis 11 and verse 30, because there's some commentary here about Sarah. It says, but Sarai was unable to become pregnant and had no children. So let's put all this together. God's got this plan to build a nation. This is what he wants to do so everyone in the world will know about his love. And instead of choosing the individuals that we would probably choose, he finds a 75-year-old man and a 65-year-old woman who cannot have children. And he says to them, oh, you will have children, and I'm going to give you land, and I'm going to bless the world through you. This is fantastic, isn't it? Well, it gets better. Because in Genesis 16, years pass. No child. Abraham is obviously getting older Sarah is as well She's still not able to have children And so Sarah begins to think of a way That she can speed up God's plan a little bit Like, hey, Abraham, let, let's help God out a bit He needs something from us Because it doesn't seem like this is going to work And so I have a maidservant She's a young girl Abraham, take her and, you know, do something and Abraham says, That oh, sounds like a great plan. I'm up for that. And so Abraham and the maidservant produce a child. It's a boy. And God the whole time is saying, what, what are you doing? Like, go back to Genesis 12. Remember, God said, I will. I will. I will. And I don't need your help. I want you to be part of the program, but I don't need your help. And you have gone outside of my plan and my timing. And by the way, that son is not who I'm going to start this great nation through. It won't be him. Gets better. In Genesis 18, God comes to Abraham again, and he has a conversation with him Abraham is 100, Sarah's 90, respectively, at the time. So again, a lot of time is passing here. It just doesn't look like this is going to work out. And God visits them again, and he reminds them, "Hey, that thing is still going to happen. That whole covenant, that contract that I gave to you many years ago, I'm still going to fulfill that." And here's what we read in Genesis 18:10. Sarah was listening to this conversation from the tent. Right? So God's in the other part of the tent, and Sarah's got the cup to the tent door or however that worked back in the day, and she's listening to this. Abraham and Sarah were both very old by this time, and Sarah was long past the age of having children. So she laughed silently to herself and said, how could a worn out woman like me enjoy such pleasure, especially when my master, my husband, is also so old? This kind of sounds like a late night TV commercial, doesn't it? How's this going to work? I don't know. Verse 13 Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, Can an old woman like me have a baby? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Now, would you let that kind of resonate in your heart for a moment? Is anything too hard for the Lord? So here's the deal. I will return about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she denied it, saying, I didn't laugh. But the Lord said, yes, you did. (laughs) No, I didn't. Yes, you did. See, this is why you got to read your Bible. Like, I'm not making this stuff up. She's arguing with God. This all happens right here. So good. Well, what happens? Genesis 21, verse 1. The Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. She became pregnant, and she gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. This happened at just the time God had said it would. I want to repeat that phrase, really substantial. You've got Abraham and Sarah. They're doubting the timing of God, the program of God, the plan. They don't get the strategy But this happened at just the time God had said it would. For all of you waiting for God to show up for you. For all of you wondering, does God know about the circumstances in my life? For all of you debating whether God sees your pain and your hurt. This happened at just the time God had said it would. And his time works all of the time. It just does. Verse 5, Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac, that's his son, was born. And Sarah declared, God has brought me laughter. And all who hear about this will laugh with me. And we're even laughing about it today, right? This is true. By the way, Isaac's name means laughter. It's kind of a funny thing to name your son, right? But this is a great story. Verse 7, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse a baby? Yet I have given Abraham a son in his old age. This is a funny story. It really is. And again, we're even laughing about it today. But I think it can be very easy to overlook this. God's big idea, his grand strategy in building a nation started with Abraham and Sarah. AND IT HAPPENED. WHO'S LAUGHING NOW, RIGHT? IN CHOOSING ABRAHAM AND SARAH, AND THIS IS OUR OTHER LOWER STORY THOUGHT, GOD REVEALS A PATTERN OF WORKING THROUGH PEOPLE. AGAIN, IN THE OPENING CHAPTERS OF GENESIS, THERE'S A LOT OF EVENTS AND GOD CHANGES HIS PROGRAM And he starts it all with Abraham and Sarah. God begins to work through people. And that should encourage everybody in here. It really should. Which takes us to my story. So let me share some takeaways with you. Number one, God chooses unlikely people. That's what he does. When God wants to accomplish stuff, when he wants to get things done, He doesn't always choose the likely candidates, like, oh, you need her, or, oh, you need him. God's like, no, 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 well, I need her, and nobody's thinking about her, and I need him, and nobody's thinking about him, and it helps us to know and understand, and when you walk through Scripture, you see this all of the time, God chooses unlikely people. You are not disqualified to be used greatly in God's great plan. Let that roll around in your mind. You are not disqualified to be used greatly in God's great plan. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what is in your past. You are not disqualified to be used greatly by God in his great plan. And that's because God just uses unique people and unlikely people. Secondly, you can be used by God to show him to others. You can be used to show God to others. And this is actually what it means to be made in the image of God, which it says this about humans. And the idea there is that we have the ability to project God to others. I think this is a great time to ask, what are you projecting to others about God or anything else in your life? We're created in the image of God, and we have the ability to project him to other people. Again, that should encourage you. God uses unusual, unlikely people, and He uses us to project God to others. It's a great thing. Thirdly, God's timing. It's difficult to understand, but it just works. And Abraham and Sarah struggled with that, and they even tried to speed up the plan of God with their own unique thoughts, and that didn't work, and that created all kinds of chaos for them. And I think if you're anything like me, we probably do the same thing, don't we? Try to get ahead of God and God's not going to answer. or God doesn't care. He doesn't see. He doesn't observe. And So maybe I'll do this. Maybe I'll try this. I'll get ahead of what God wants. And whenever we do that, we're always going to find ourselves in trouble. God's timing is difficult to understand, but it works. Earlier in the service here, we prayed for water and sewer and i want to continue to ask that you lift that up this is something that we need as a church so we can build our future real home and i will tell you that there are many people here who have been praying for this for a long time years god we need infrastructure and we need that property to be touched with these public water and sewer lines so that we can move forward and and this is what we need And I will also tell you that if this were my timing, I'd have this done by now. That just doesn't make any sense to wait. Does it? We need that building now. We need that today. We need that tool so we can continue to serve this community and beyond in ways that we can't do now because we don't have that. And if this were my timing, I would have found a way. And I know many of us think about this. But guess what? Genesis chapter 12. I will, I will, I will, and God doesn't need me and my thoughts. I hope that he uses me and my thoughts, but God doesn't need that, and his timing is difficult. It's difficult, but it always works, and when it works, there's a tremendous story to tell, and I believe that's coming for us, so... Let that sink into you with whatever timing issue you're dealing with with God right now. And if you're ready to get ahead of that, hang on, hang on. Think about Sarah and Abraham, It God a little weird, and you don't need that or want that. So God's timing. Difficult, difficult, but it just works. Number four, sometimes our obedience will make no sense to others or maybe not even to ourselves. Like, God, you really want that, and you want me to do this or say this? You want me to go there? When you think about what God asked of Abraham, you leave Ur, where you are comfortable, and you know people, and I want you to go to a land. I'm going to show it to you. You don't even know where it is, Abraham. That's a pretty big step of faith. Like, leave what you know and go to what you don't even know about yet. I'm sure as Abraham shared that with the people that he was going to take with him, they probably didn't understand it. And I would imagine that maybe Abraham didn't even get it himself, but yet he still chose to go with God's plan and God's program. Sometimes our obedience will make no sense to others or even to ourselves. But let us remember, obedience to God is a really big deal, very important. So guess what? God will accomplish his plan in the world. He will do that. Whether we're a part of it or not, God will accomplish his plan. But here's the fun thing about God. He often does that in ways that we would not expect and through surprising people. Let's be those surprising people this week. Father, we're thankful for what we have looked at today and this great history that you unveil for us in the opening book of the Bible. The book of Genesis is so foundational to everything else, and it's great to start here as we think about how you work through events, but then eventually you initiated a new program and you started to work through people and you chose unlikely individuals, You chose an older man and an older woman who couldn't have children, but yet you said you're going to have a child. I'm going to give you land, and I will make of you a great nation, and all the people of the world will be blessed through you. That's a really bizarre contract, God. But yet that's what you chose to do. And we see how your timing doesn't always make sense. We can't always understand it but it works because you chose Abraham and Sarah and you did it. You gave them a land. You gave them many descendants and you made of them a great nation and through them you bless all other people. So God, would you help us to rest in trusting and being obedient to you God, so often we want to come up with our plans and our ideas, and certainly you use all of that. But ultimately, you want us to rest in you. You want us to trust in you. So help me to do that. I pray that you'd help everyone here to do that. And as we think about Abraham and Sarah this week, God, would you help us to laugh? Uh, Their son's name means laughter. It's a great story. So help us to laugh about what happened there. But God, help us to also know that you put that there so we could learn whatever it is that you want for us. That's our story. God, help us not just to think about what happened back then. Help us to place ourselves in the narrative and be willing to be obedient to you. Bless us as we continue our journey. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. We'd also love to have you join us on any Sunday morning as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at nine fifteen or eleven a.m.